My name is Kristen La Liberté. I worked in academic research laboratory for 25 years at McGill University and the Hospital for Sick Children in the field of neuroscience. I had the privilege to train thousands of students from all over the world, met smart people, and connected with individuals who are passionate about the brain. In 2015, my brain sustained a traumatic brain injury, leaving me with cognitive impairment. And as a result, I was no longer capable to work in neuroscience. My curiosity has not slowed down despite my disability. And this is why I'm excited to converse with smart people and to discover more about their passion. We will not talk about the brain in this show, but about dog fancier. These incredible women will be invited on this show to share their story with us. First time I met Katie was in 1998 at a Gaze Hound Ontario lower coursing trial held in north of Toronto, Canada. She was at the trial with her first greyhounds named Amy. First thing that was striking from Katie is her appearance. Her hair, long braids, red copper color, then her choice of clothing was stylish. I was like, at a dog event. I thought she looks very cool. First characteristic that I learned about Katie is her super warm, loving human being. She's now retired and she's always been an independent woman entrepreneur. We'll get back to that later in the show. Katie is a Red Cross CPR instructor and a canine first aid instructor. She's a mother of two sons, an amazing virtual artist trained judoka, greyhound lover, and an advocate for all sports, including lure coursing. Okay, so you can introduce yourself. <laughs> I, I didn't think I was introducing myself. I don't, I don't <laughs> Your name? <laughs> My name is Katie Stoyles, Catherine Elliott Stoyles, and I'm here to talk about lure coursing and why I became a lure coursing judge. So as per our conversation, you said at the time that you were a personal trainer, then you were a client of Pat Wolf. It's correct, right? Yes. And this is how you've been introduced to lure coursing. Can you tell us more about that pivotal moment? I can. The year would have been around 1998-99. Pat was a client of mine and she invited me to come and see a lure coursing event on her property. Pat had a beautiful deer hound at the time. I had never seen most of the sighthound breeds before and so I decided to go. I was just blown away by the dogs and their obvious athletic ability and their drive to catch that lure. Lori Sutar was there with her greyhounds and I fell in love with just how magnificent they were. The people were friendly and I decided right then to ask Lori for a greyhound. This episode will be split in three sections. One, 
the business sides of Katie, two, her involvement in lore coursing, and three, why is she so good at techie stuff? In 1995, this brave woman opened an independent fitness gym in Newmarket, north of Toronto. It was a risky move to open a small gym. Oh, and by the way, Jagger is a greyhound. Let's hear what she has to say about her business experience. Risky. I had first and last month's rent and a hope and a prayer. <laughs> I was blessed as the first week I was in business, I was standing in my doorway hoping for clients and a girl stopped and asked me what I was doing. She became my first client. And a day later, another person phoned me and joined. I worked another job as well until I could earn enough to just do the personal training, but it was a wonderful experience. Mm. For years, you ran that business, occupying all the roles as the teaching the fitness class, the administration, the marketing. Did you partner up with someone? I ran my business for 25 years. I didn't partner with anyone, but I did contract work out to a few trainers, the most notably my twin sister, Chris. Chris was a great trainer and helped me so much. I'm grateful to have had her all those years. Jagger used to join you at work and spend time on the treadmill, right? <laughs> Jagger loved the treadmill. He would get on the treadmill and just wait. If I didn't notice, then he would start whining or barking until I went over and started it up for him. But God help you if you put the speed up too fast, you know, so I had to be careful to have the speed at exactly where he liked it. So, and he will trot? He would trot, yeah. He, like, he like... liked to do a comfortable trot for about 20 minutes. Oh, and wow. And then he'd say, no, I'm done. Katie is a Red Cross First Aid CPR instructor. So for many, many years, she educate people how to react to an emergency. She liked the Red Cross approach, simple. Check, call, care. Do you have any funny moments or particular situation that you remember from a CPR class? Well, yeah, some of them we can't mention. <laughs> but we do do scenarios and some of the funniest are when we ask people to do skits. I had one class where two men demonstrated how to deliver a baby. And one man was the pregnant woman and the other man was the first dater. So they made it very funny. It was the highlight of the, of the day. to the love to compete. Next. You did yourself compete in tournaments at a high level. Can you tell us more about that? I was involved in sports from a very young age. I have a twin sister, Christine, and we played baseball and really cleaned up in track and field at school. <laughs> I later competed in judo and took karate classes as well. I competed in rowing at university, I ran a marathon, and I did two cross-country ski marathons as well. I taught aerobics and some cardio kickboxing. And yes, I loved competition, the people and the energy. Looking back over it, it really was the journey and the people that made it special. 
now I have a spin bike at home and I walk in the forest as much as I can. Would you feel like you have that same drive, the adrenaline that you missed, uh, the partnership with, like you had in judo, and or you're okay now? Well, I miss it. Yeah, yeah you miss it. I think it. you always miss it once you've done, yeah. especially martial arts. Yeah. I think you always miss the, the, com- the friendly competition, yes. you know, between each other in the club, but also out in the world as well, you know. So that never goes away. I, I sometimes think I'm young enough to take it up again. Our guest is a forever learner and a forever teacher. In the next segment, Katie will explain why she wanted to become a licensed lower coursing judge. Well, over the years, I had competed in lower coursing and many other dog sports. What I felt when I watched the dogs run was nothing like I had experienced before. I was blown away by the athleticism of the sighthounds as they ran and by their complete, reckless, wild, and yet somehow controlled enthusiasm and commitment to the chase. Later, the sport grew to include other breeds. I was happy to see other breeds run enthusiastically after the lure as well. We ask our dogs to do many things. Some things are related to competition, and some are skills needed to be a good canine citizen. But lure coursing is the only sport that the dogs do because of the pure love of running and chasing, and that's why I love it so much. Um, In order to explain why I wanted to become a judge, I need to talk first about teaching and learning. I attended Brock University and graduated with a Bachelor of Physical Education. I have always had a passion to learn and to pass on or teach to others what I've learned. I believe that if I'm open and curious about the world around me, then it is possible to learn something new every day. Learning and teaching became my whole life. For instance, I took the animal care program with a specialty in wildlife at Georgian College and loved my volunteer time at a wildlife hospital. I taught at the Toronto Montessori schools. The kids were so fun. I taught and competed in judo in Montreal and St. Catharines. I taught cardio kickboxing in Newmarket and I took karate. I taught fitness classes and first aid in the greater Toronto area. And I took many courses in the fitness field as this was necessary to keep my certification up, but I loved learning. So because of my background, I decided I wanted to learn more about how these magnificent canine athletes performed. And I felt that one way to do that was to learn about judging. I knew it was about more than just who passed the finish line first, much more. So I became a judge in June of 2013. And the community, thank you for that. Thank you. Would you recommend to anyone who is qualified to become a judge? Well, experience in the sport is important and having good mentors as well. I have learned so much from so many people such as Lori, Cecile, Lee, Karen. So many people have mentored me and I'm very grateful for their help. If you're interested in judging, go to many events and watch how other judges work. Ask questions and decide if you want that responsibility. Be open to learn every day. Let your admiration for the dogs and their owners guide you. I know I'm filled with gratitude for the opportunity to learn with all of you and to enjoy the pure fun of the run. So stay humble and learn as much as you can. Does it take a tough skin to to be a judge? (laughs) Definitely. The most important part of judging is always the decision, the big decision, who ran the best. 
I will always make someone happy and others not so happy. So I do my best. You have to have a thick skin to be a judge. I'm a sensitive person and that can be a curse and a blessing. I care a lot, but I hurt as well. My goal is to just do the best job I can. The United Kennel Club offer different programs for the coursing. Coursing aptitude, coursing test, and their regular stake. So Katie is a great teacher and I ask her to explain us the differences. So that will be on a separate episode because it's a lot of details. Although in the next segment, she will tell us what she means by endurance, agility, and speed. What is the guideline that the dogs is judged on? Yeah, the course is divided into three separate sections, uh, three sections to highlight those specific abilities. So how do you determine if the dog has the speed? The judge assigns a score to the dog that shows the most speed in the first section of the course. This section is usually a straightaway and the faster dog is usually obvious. And this is what, this is where we try to simulate the hunt mm-hmm. of a hare because mm-hmm. they will go at first straight off. At first straight yeah. till they feel the dog is close mm-hmm. and then they make a quick turn. Yeah. Okay. So it's minimum 50 yards. Yeah. Okay. How do you determine that the dog is agile? Well, in the second section of the course, the judge assigns a score to each dog based on their ability to remain in proximity of the lure as it turns. The ability to anticipate the turn and gain advantage while coursing is perhaps the most technical section of the course. How do you determine if a dog has the endurance? The third and final section of the course is to evaluate endurance. Care should be taken to differentiate between a dog that lacks endurance and one that checks his or her speed as it slows because the lure slows, right? Because you don't mm. want to misinterpret why that dog is slowing down. So you've got three distinct sections all leading into each other, all giving you a complete picture. Okay. Because the course is between four and 400 and 600 yards. Mm-hmm. So when the cardio comes into anaerobic, mm-hmm. this is where you can see if a dog is in a you good condition. You can see condition. if they're conditioned. The first okay. little bit m- might not show you, but as they complete the course, you'll be able to see. And there are certain breeds that should show more endurance, like um, Afghan hounds should have more endurance, you know, where greyhounds mm. are speedrunners, you know, so that has to be taken into account. And so when evaluating the dogs, thought must be taken into appreciating the running styles of the various breeds. For example, I noticed that Afghans extend fully in a gallop and change speed quickly. At times they team up, one chases the lure and the other tries to encircle the lure. The Afghan can run in difficult terrain and usually show great endurance. On the other hand, the Greyhound reaches speed quickly and can make quick turns. They have an extended gallop with powerful propulsion. They have a strong interest in the lure from start to finish and they do not team up. They may finish the course faster, but other aspects of the course need to be assessed. It is important to remember that during the course, the dogs may trade off many times. The whole course must be considered. Understanding the different running styles is important when judging mixed stakes or field championships and even for reference when comparing runs. So that explains where you have suggest to go to many events mm-hmm. to kind of get a, the expert eyes to look mm-hmm. more and more different breeds. Because mm-hmm. in certain places in the States, it would be like, 
tons of feral hounds, and mm-hmm. then another place is mm-hmm. none of them. And then, like in my area, it's silken hound. Yes. So now it's new eyes to to yeah, get used. Yeah, so exactly. So that's why it's important to go to lots of events if you want to be a judge and see all those different breeds of dogs running. You know, because they all do run a little differently, and they all have their their advantages and disadvantages as to how well they will do the agility or the speed or whatever. So it's important to know a little bit about that. And that's where your mentors can help you as well because they've been in it for many, many years and they've seen everything, you know, yeah. met many of them. So they can guide you in figuring that out. Follow to me it means does the dog follow the course for the whole course and does the dog react quickly to the movement of the lure? There is no official follow in UKC judging, but a dog generally has good follow if they show good agility. Okay, because they try to mm-hmm. do it a takedown and they really like... Anticipating the, the turn, you know, really okay. well. So, yeah, if they have good agility, generally they have good follow. Good. They're able to stay on the line a oh. little better. In the regular stake where side hand runs in brace, in some cases it must be very hard to determine the winner. It is hard. It's never about who crosses the line first. Agility and endurance must be considered. The whole course decides the winner. In spite of the differences in running styles, the consistent thing is the chase. Are they running in full extended gallop? Are they able to successfully handle the agility part of the course? And do they still have energy to complete the course with appropriate speed for that particular breed? Judging is one person's opinion of how your dog runs a course. It is subjective. It is the judge's opinion on that course and on that terrain and with that lure operator on that day. One of my goals of this podcast is to introduce you to the celebrities. And also these people are an excellent resources to help you to understand the sports and to navigate through the different programs. So the coursing aptitude is open to all breed and the way it's judged is a pass and fail. And let's Katie explain what she's looking for when she's judging these dogs. I'm looking just for enthusiasm and completion of the course. Okay. That's it. You know, do they do the course well? Do they complete it? Are they running with enthusiasm? You know, they love what they're doing. That's what I'm looking for. When you're uh, judging, you're standing in the middle of the field, rains or shine. Do you take notes? Do you have a, like a system while the dog is running? I do. I take notes and we assign... Um, of course, um, a score between zero and five to every dog for every section of the course as well. You can add bonus points and you can take points away, but that's your basic. That's what you're writing down. Um, but choosing the dog that ran the best is sometimes easy, as it's obvious. But other times the dogs run more evenly, and the decision is hard. And that's why I like to take notes about how they run, not just the score I've given. So I can look at my notes and it can help me make a decision if I'm unsure. Also, if I need to explain my decision, then my notes can also help. Because the owner can come in and Mm -hmm. ask you a justification Mm -hmm. or to understand. Yeah, and and I want them to ask me. 
you yeah. know, I want them to ask if they have any questions or any doubts or want to learn, you know, about it, then I'm happy to give them as much information as I'm able to. Yeah, like I'm expecting a lot of new coursers this mm -hmm. summer at my farm. And mm -hmm. I think it's it's a very important part to that they understand that the is not just a toy that you press a button and they go around yeah. the field. That yes. is, and most people are excited to see their dogs running. Yes. And, but now it's like a competitive. So I don't want to see, oh, how come my dogs haven't get that score? The competitive or... juices come up yeah. pretty quickly, right? <laughs> they do. First they come yeah. for fun, then they want to win. Yeah, yeah especially <laughs> if you get a ribbon, then they're like, yeah. woo -hoo. <laughs> yeah. I know, I've been there too, right? Me too. <laughs> like in any competitive event, you may have experience where the dog failed their CA or their CT, and you're aware that the owner is disappointed. So how you handle this? Well, my message is this. You're all winners. All of the dogs are winners. It's fun. At the end of the day, did your dog have a good time? Does the dog know the color of the ribbon that he or she won? Would your dog do it again? You're doing activities with your dogs that the dogs love. They don't know who won. They just enjoy the chase. So I encourage them to keep trying and to enjoy the journey. Lure coursing is a subjective sports. And in some cases, it can bring some questions or frustration or disappointment. So I asked Katie how she handles a delicate situation with the dog's owners. I try to teach them about the sport and talk to them about why I made the decision I did and encourage them to try again. I point out the positive aspects of their dog's attempt and encourage them to practice. Like at your farm, Christine, it's a great idea to offer people the opportunity to practice and I encourage anybody who can to come and enjoy your wonderful program. I hope that if I feel passionate about my experiences and stay open to learning that I can pass that excitement and enthusiasm on to others. Leading with passion is important to me. I have so much to learn and of course I'm human and at times I see things differently than somebody else, but I do the best I can. And I hope that if I show my human side and how much I care, then people will calm and realize that the journey is the most important thing, not the win. Katie has a good advice for people with their dogs who are interested to become a dog fanciers team. The most important thing is the personal relationship you have with the client. If you understand their goals and if they know you care and they believe in your skill and knowledge, then you can both be successful. Communication is the important thing. Would you compare the team, the athlete and coach to be the crucial achievement for any goals? Teamwork is definitely the key. I need to believe in myself and my client and to work to develop a positive and comfortable atmosphere. Can you bring a parallel between the relationship between the dogs, the athlete, and the owner, the, co the coach? To me, dogs are easier in some ways as they live in the moment and they are so forgiving, but harder because they can't tell you in words what's going on. It is important to learn their body language and listen to their more subtle cues. It is so important to build trust and form bonds with your dogs. They respond to positive reinforcement, as do humans. You get reliable performance from a human or a dog with positive reinforcement. Also, if you, 
you know, as an athlete, you know, oh, I feel injured. It's better if I not do this competition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to lose maybe your top one position. But mm-hmm. the dogs cannot express. And as the owner, and I can see I, I did that with one of my weapons, like to push a little bit too much because it was for my ego. And the dog couldn't say, oh, I, I won't run this weekend because I don't feel that good. But I figured, oh, no, uh, I've you been witness to that and I have you know and sports training has changed a lot over the years it used to be if you ran a marathon you ran the marathon in your training now you never run beyond in generally you don't run beyond half a marathon because on the day you're going to far exceed the training and by running a marathon over and over again before you finally compete in the marathon you're actually wearing your body down wearing your joints down doing unnecessary hardship to your body to me that translates leads to canine work too. You, you don't want to work them to the point where they're not able to give you the best they can and they're not able to enjoy it the same way because they'll run no matter what, you know, because that's in them, that's their instinct. But I think it's up to us to be guardians and to, and to try to measure what is safe amount of work and what is not safe. And to, for me, I'd like to err on the safe side. Okay. You know, and gra- and take a little longer to get a dog ready for competition. The premiere is the largest event organized by the United Kennel Club. It's held in Kalamazoo, Michigan. In 2013, Katie was invited to judge at the lure coursing event. Is that right? Oh yeah, the, the, there was hundreds of dogs to judge every day. And it's a very, very busy time. Lots of noise, lots of excitement, lots of coursing going on. Hundreds? And what time mm-hmm. are you starting in the morning? Start, uh, I can't remember. Start early, you know, eight or nine o'clock and ran for as long as we needed to run in order to complete all the runs. Wow. So. How did you manage that? (laughs) Well, it's difficult. Uh, You smile, you encourage, you listen, you work quickly, you be personable and caring. And if the person wants to talk to you and needs extra time, then offer to make time with them later when the day is over or during a break. Our guest this month, Katie, is a multi-talented person. We're going to switch gear and now talk about her artistic skills. So I'm a big fan of your arts. And uh, you have two ways of expression. You have the painting and you do the the cartoons. Um, What do you like about painting? When I paint, I can leave the world behind. And if I'm lucky, I can create something beautiful. Again, the, the joy is in the journey. It is a time when I'm totally in the moment. And I feel if I can create something I am passionate about, then my work will be that much better. For instance, I love to paint animals, and I have done portraits of my sons. To relieve boredom some during COVID-19, you have drawn daily. You have all these sketches that represent your daily life, struggles, joy, challenges uh, that helps you um, to, to, to go that pandemic. It was very refreshing, very humorous. 
so yeah, how, how you come up with this? I was bored and stressed, you know, when, when we had that first COVID lockdown a year ago and I started cartoon, I couldn't, I found I couldn't paint even, you know, so, and I, I needed to do something. So I started to do cartooning and, um, it was fun playing with those cartoons and it was a way for me to express how I was feeling also about the lockdown and everything involved with the COVID. I started doing them for that reason, but then people started telling me, uh, either telling me on, on the posting just how much it meant to them, but in some cases people sent me private messages saying how much they loved the cartoons and how much it meant to them every morning to see them. And so I continued and I'm very flattered. I'm very happy to continue to do that. I think I have about 400 of them now, probably more than that. I think you can ask a publisher to do a book with that. <laughs> I need to find a friend to help me organize them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about that. <laughs> 400? That's I, I cool. Probably, they're all there. A businesswoman, a lore coursing judge and a full engagement in the dog community, a visual artist, and a woman who likes to keep up with the technology. And this is one of the reasons. Well, I, I try to read tutorials online and of course I talk to my sons, Justin and Matthew, as they are both great with techie stuff. My son Justin works for Apple in California, so I read up on tech stuff just so I can have conversations with him about his work. I also try and read up about gaming, because of course they're both into gaming, those types of things. So reading, you know, when I have, when I have the um, time. Like you never, it, what happened if you showed up with a Samsung phone? Oh, I don't think my son would be happy. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, he buys me uh, phones and iPads and watches and things, you know, Apple products. And they're amazing products, you know, so. Yeah, they I, are. I have to learn how to use them. <laughs> <laughs> so both boys help. Yeah. yeah. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Katie. Next month. I will talk with Lori Colson. She is involved with the American Sighthound Phil Association as the data keeper. Before I leave you, here's a description of Katie about her favorite breed. I just love it. Greyhounds are the ultimate athlete, so powerful, so driven, so athletic, so graceful, and yet so gentle in nature. I was hooked. Hello! Hello.